Okay, hey, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one tonight because we're going to be moving around a little bit in the book of Genesis, so you're going to want to be able to flip back and forth. So if you don't have one, there may be one in the seats in front of you, in the back of the seats, or there's a stack of them on that back table back there if you want to hop up and grab one of those. Somebody tell me what we've been talking about. Yes, we have been talking about Jesus, but more specifically, what have we been, what, what's this idea? Okay, let me, let me back up and ask you a question then. How many of you like to wait? Yeah, not, not one hand in the room, okay? Just, just like to, how, how about this? How many of you like to wait on other people? Yeah, none of you. How, what you got, Sarah? She was about to say something. You're about to call somebody out. How, how many of you have that one family member that when you're trying to leave, there's that one that always has to go back for one more thing? And you don't ever get to leave on time. How many of you are that family member? Some of you are pointing out that family member in your own family right now. Okay. See, we, we don't like that. I've, I've got one of those in my family. Not going to tell you who it is. But I think we all have one of those. May have more than one of those in my family. But we all have one of those. What's that? I said I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, we all have somebody in our family like that, and, and we get frustrated because we have to wait because you're ready to go, right? You're ready to be somewhere else. You're ready to do what you're supposed to do. And, and the reason that happens to us is because we are a very, a very um, impatient society, aren't we? I mean, think about this. Does anybody know how long it takes to make a bag of popcorn in a microwave? <laughs> Too long. What's that? Too many. It depends on your microwave. Some are, some are two minutes. Some are three minutes. Some of you, it's just too long no matter how long it takes. How many of you get frustrated sitting at a red light waiting for it to change? Okay, all right. <laughs> What's that? You know why? Because other people are stupid and they run red lights. That's why. You need to wait in situations like that. Because the one time you don't wait, you're going to get T-bone going through that intersection and then you're done. So... What's that? You mean obeying the law? Oh, at least five over. Why? So you're advocating breaking the law. What's that? Can, can, I, can I just don't count on him for life advice right now, okay? Just. When Danielle gets a speeding ticket, we're going to bring her up here and parade her in front of everybody when she gets a speeding ticket, okay? That's what we're going to do, right then and right there. The, the reason I ask you that question, guys, is because none of us likes to wait because we're, we're impatient. But sometimes waiting is not a bad thing, especially if we're talking about waiting on God. Sometimes there's going to be things in our lives where we go to God and we say, God, I need you to take care of this. God, I need you to provide in this way. God, I need you to, to handle this situation. And we've got that, that microwave popcorn mentality for God. We want God to fix that problem in two minutes or three minutes or less. And we want to be able to do what we want to do and move on and not have to worry about it anymore. And yet, when we look at God's word, what we see time and time again is that God very often asks his people to wait. You know, I've heard this, and you've probably heard this before, that when you ask God a question, He'll give you one of three answers. The answer is either yes, the answer is no, or the answer is wait. 
And sometimes that's exactly what God wants us to do. You know, we've been talking about this whole idea of the, the little things are big. And sometimes we think, you know, I don't want to wait on anybody. I especially don't want to wait on God. And we think that's such a small thing. But learning to wait on God is actually something that is really big. Because if we wait on God, we can see God do some incredible things. When we get impatient and get tired of waiting on God, we tend to take matters into our own hands and we mess things up pretty bad most of the time. So what we've been doing and talking about these little things are big. We've been walking through Hebrews chapter 11. Does anybody remember what the nickname for that chapter is in the Bible? Faith Hall of Fame. That's exactly right. Because as you read through that chapter, you see people like Noah and Moses and Abraham and all kinds of different people from the Old Testament. And as we look at their lives, we see that God did really big things in their lives. And we want those same kind of things to be done in our lives. But as you start to dig into the accounts of what actually happened in their lives, you find out real quick that they weren't just going after God for the big things. They were doing the little things consistently. And those little things are what was big to God. And those are the same things that God calls us to do. And we're talking about little things like making sure that your heart and your head is prepared to actually worship God when you come to worship. And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about spending time in the presence of God, whether it's through music or prayer or his word, making sure that your heart is pointed towards God in those moments. Or maybe it's something little like just learning to be obedient to God. You know, I I had a young man one time tell me, he's like, I'm just ready. I'm just ready for God to show me something new in his word. I just want God. I've been around church my whole life. I want something new. And my question to him was this. What have you done with what God's already shown you? See, sometimes the little thing in our lives is just being obedient to what God's already called us to do. Sometimes it's just learning to trust God, even in the little things. Maybe for you, the little thing in your life right now is learning to wait on God. You may have a situation in your life that you don't understand. You may be asking God, God, I need you to work right now. God, I need this answer. God, I need you to solve this problem in my family. God, I need to know where where I'm supposed to go next. What am I supposed to do? God, I need these answers. And we're saying, God, now, 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 now. And yet God is saying, just wait. It's coming, but I need you to wait. That's exactly what we see with the person that we're picking up with tonight in Hebrews chapter 11. If you remember last week, well, who remembers last week who we talked about? Abraham. He was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham. And he made a promise to Abraham. God told Abraham, your descendants are going to be made into a great nation. Through your family line, the world is going to be blessed. I'm going to take your descendants and they're going to outnumber the stars. And we saw how Abraham, through all of his things that he did, the mistakes that he made, he still trusted God. And there was one person that was mentioned in that promise. Do you remember who that was besides Abraham? Sarai does mention a son, yes. But Sarai, Abraham's wife. Think about that promise. God made a promise to Abraham. God said, Abraham, you are going to have a child. You're going to have a son. And through that son, your descendants are going to be just outnumber the stars. And what we don't ever see in there is how that plays out in Sarai's life, Abraham's wife. 
So tonight, because she has such a huge role in the promise that God made to Abraham, we're going to look at what God did in her life. And what we're going to see is a couple different things. We're going to see that, that she was trusting God. She was waiting on God for a while, but then she does what we do. She gets impatient. And she comes up with her own plan as to how she's going to make God's promise come true. And if she does that, man, she messes things up. And yet then it comes back around and God shows that He keeps His promises. And because God always keeps His promises, and because she finally learns to wait on God, we see God do exactly what God says He will do. So it starts in Hebrews chapter 11. I know I told you Genesis. You can keep your thumb there. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick up in the two verses right after where we stopped last week. Hebrews 11, 11. And it starts off like many of these verses in this chapter do. The first two words are by faith. Somebody tell me again what faith is. How do we define it? Say it again. Assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. We took all that, we said that's it's an unswerving, it's an unwavering confidence in God. That God is who He says He is. That God will do what God says He will do. That is what these individuals has. It says in verse 11, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. See, God made this huge promise to Abraham, but that promise cannot come true without Sarah being a part of it. So that's why we're going to dig into her story tonight. And like I said, we're going to jump all over the book of Genesis. Her story starts in Genesis 11, and it goes all the way through chapter, I think it's 21 is where we're going to go to tonight. And throughout that entire time, we see that she's learning to wait on God and what happens when she takes matters into her own hands. So Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 29, it says this. And Abram, remember God hasn't changed his name yet, and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Ishka? You say that right. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. This is the first place in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that we see Sarai mentioned. And there's one crucial piece of information that we're given about her. What is that? She's barren. For those of you that don't know what that means, it means she didn't have any kids. Okay? That's, that's a huge deal. Now, it makes sense because they just got married. She hopefully wouldn't have any kids yet. But she gets married and, and they have no children here. That matters because as you get into the very next chapter of Genesis 12, which is where we looked at Abram's promise from God last week, we see that God makes that promise that he's going to have descendants that are going to outnumber the stars. And yet, they don't have any kids. That's an important detail that we have to pay attention to. It's going to be difficult for them to have all of those descendants if they don't even have one child. You've got to have a kid for that family line to carry on to the next generation, much less further and further and further the way God has promised Abraham. 
So we go down a couple chapters, Genesis chapter 15, and it's been some time now that Abraham has had this promise from God, and he actually starts to question God. Even his trust is wavering just a little bit. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, in, in this culture, in this day and age, if you didn't have a son, your heir would be that next closest male family member. So what Abram is saying here is he's saying, God, you promised me a child. You promised me a son. I still don't have one. So now this guy that's like my nephew, he's going to be my heir. And that's not the promise you made to me. He's looking at God saying, God, are, are you actually going to keep your word? And God comes to him and God says, yes. I made you a promise, I made you a covenant, and I'm going to keep that promise. Now, he still doesn't mention Sarai here, but this promise still affects her. She plays a vital role in that promise that God has given. And as we continue to see this play out, she's kind of in the background of this account right now. But she's getting ready to come to the forefront because she gets tired of waiting on God. If you flip down to Genesis chapter 16, very next chapter. Verse 1, she takes matters into her own hands to fulfill the promise of God. Look at what it says. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So God has made a promise to Abram. She knows about that promise, but she says God is the one who's not letting me have a child. So, as a result, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So her plan is, God hasn't given her a child, so she's going to take her servant, who would basically have been kind of her property at that time, and this was unfortunately kind of a normal thing, so that a man would have an heir, that if the wife couldn't get pregnant, she would give her husband one of her servants, and that way he would still have an heir. So she says, go to my servant, have a child, that child will be mine. That's Sarah's plan or Sarai's plan right now. Verse 3, or excuse me, it says right there in verse 2, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So Sarai came up with this plan so that there's going to be an heir for Abram, that God's promise is going to go, come true. And yet as soon as she finds out that there's going to be a child, Hagar looks at her, her mistress, her boss, her employer, her owner, whatever word you want to give to her, and now she's like mad at her. Says so She looks at her with contempt. There's no respect there because of the situation that Sarai has set up. And it goes on to say in verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. 
I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Sarai takes matters into her own hands. She comes up with her own plan, gets tired of waiting on God, and in the process, really kind of messes everything up. I mean, I mean, think about it. You, you've got this husband and wife, and now they're, their unity together has been broken because someone else has been brought into this relationship. And after her servant gets pregnant, now she's mad at her servant and she's mad at her husband when the whole thing was her idea in the first place. She's got this huge debacle going on right here, but you've got to wonder what in the world she thought was going to happen. Guys, that's, a, that's an important truth for you and I. Because when we look at this, it's easy for us to see that there's going to be times in our lives where we think God is moving too slow. We think God is not giving us the answers that we want. Maybe you've prayed a prayer and you've prayed it asking God to do something over and over and over and it feels like you've been doing it for days and months or even years. And God still hasn't done what you've asked Him to do. We say, okay God, I've got my own plan to fix this situation. But what happens most of the time when we do that is we mess it up even more because we get tired of waiting on God because we say, God, my idea is better than yours. God, my plan is better than yours. You know what, God? It's time for me to be God for a little while. And that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to wait on Him because we're going to mess things up. That's exactly what happens in this family. If you keep reading and, and you go on a little bit, you find out that, that Hagar does have a son and Abram becomes a dad at 86 years old. Remember we talked about last week, God made the promise to him when he was 75. So 11 years later, he does become a father, but it's not the plan that God had for him. Hagar, actually, because she's scared of Sarai, it tells us there that she runs away because she's afraid of how her master, her mistress, is going to treat her. And then through this whole course of events, she comes back with her child to live in the house. So now you've got like this made-for-TV drama playing out right here in Abram and Sarai's house. All because she got tired of waiting on God. Guys, when we step outside of God's plan and we take matters into our own hands, we are going to mess it up we are going to do things and make things happen that God doesn't have planned for our lives now God does allow us to do some of those things but God gives God gives us free will to make choices we know because we make choices to follow God or not follow God every single day and what God is calling us to do though is to put our trust in him and to wait on him and you've got to remember that God keeps his word and he does not break his promises. And I just, I just want you to know that tonight. If there's something going on in your life, in your family, in a relationship that you have, and you're tired of waiting on God, I encourage you, I pray that you will wait just a little bit longer. Because God does have a plan. Because God does know what he's doing. And if you take matters into your own hands, you're going to find out real quick, should have waited on God. Because God is always worth waiting for. 
Jump down to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, 24 years after God made a promise to him, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. 24 years after God made that promise to Abraham, 24 years later comes to him and says, it's going to happen. Which means 24 years after Sarai learned that God made this promise to her husband, she's still waiting for this promise to actually happen. That's huge. And that matters for us, guys. That matters for us because sometimes when we feel like we've waited on God too long, we start to feel like God's forgotten about us. Like God doesn't care about us. Like God doesn't really know what he's doing. And yet God doesn't ever forget about who we are. Skip down to verse 15 and you find out real quick, God never forgot about Sarai. It says, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael is Hagar's son. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So for the first time after 24 years, you see God specifically mention Sarah in this promise. She's been involved in the promise the entire time, but this is the first time you see God calling her out and bringing her to the forefront of what is going on. Because God hasn't forgotten about her. And God doesn't forget about us. Sometimes it may feel that way. Sometimes it may feel like God's saying, hey, just, just wait, just hold on. And we feel like God told us to wait. And then God went off and started doing something else. And, and he forgot we were waiting. I know my, my, all, all three of my kids will probably attest to this. I'm horrible about saying, hey, give me just a second when they come ask me to do something or ask me a question. Or, hey, give me a minute. I need to finish this. And then, then we can deal with that. And then they walk away and I forget that they were ever standing there talking to me. And I go about and I actually go start doing something else and forget they were ever there. It's not because I don't love my kids. It's because I'm forgetful. Sometimes we feel like God does that. God, I'm waiting and I'm waiting. God, are you still there? God, have you forgotten about me? 
24 years, Sarah was waiting. And yet 24 years later, God says, no, I never forgot about you. I just needed you to wait a little bit longer. As you keep reading in this passage, or as you jump down, excuse me, to chapter 18, starting in verse 9, you've got the Lord comes to Abraham. And in verse 9, it says, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So 24 years later, Sarah finally hears the promise with her own ears. You know she heard it from her husband when God first made the promise. You know that she heard it when God said, hey, you're going to call your wife Sarah now, not Sarai. And this is the promise that's going to be carried out through her, not the other son that you had. And now he specifically addresses her. And you need to understand something here. For 24 years, Scripture tells us that she hasn't had a child. Her body hasn't been able to have a child. In fact, she's of the mindset that her body can't have a child anymore. That's, that's what it means in verse 11 when it says the way of women had ceased to be with her. She's gone through a natural transition where her body is no longer physically capable of having children, which is incredible. And it's one more thing God uses to point to the fact that He is in control even when we get tired of waiting on Him. Because the only way she's going to have a child, the only way she will ever have that son that God promised is if God makes it happen. And yet in Genesis chapter 1, that is exactly what we see happen. Starting in verse 2, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Twenty-five years. That is how long Sarah had to wait on God. For almost every one of you in here besides the adults, that's longer than you've even been alive. Think about that, waiting your entire life for God to do something in your life up to the age that you are now and then tack on another 10 years for a lot of you or more. That's how long she had to wait for this promise to come true. Yet in all of that, God did not forget Sarah. God kept his promise. All she had to do was wait on God. So my question for you is, what are you waiting on God for in your life tonight? 
What is that prayer you've been saying over and over to God? What is that question that you have brought before him time and time again, and he just hasn't given you an answer? What are you waiting on God for tonight? No matter what it is that you're facing, you need to understand something. These truths that we see here tonight, the first one is this, God is always worth waiting for. Every time. Because if you take your problem into your own hands and you try to fix it yourself, you are going to mess it up. I can attest to that in my own life, and I'm pretty sure most of these adults could do the same thing. God is always worth waiting for. And the second one is this. God has not forgotten you. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And God has a plan for you. You may just have to wait a little bit longer to see what it is. And my challenge and my encouragement for you is to keep waiting on God and trusting that He's going to keep His word every single time. That second verse we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12 from the very beginning, let me read that again. It says, Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, Abraham, a hundred years old, were born descendants, as many of the star, as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. From that one man and that one woman who learn to wait on God, you see generation after generation after generation that led to the birth of Jesus Christ. Good things do come when you wait on God. What are you waiting on God for tonight? What are you asking Him for? What are you asking Him to do? What are you asking Him to show you? I want to challenge you tonight. Every one of you, every week, we have these cards in your seats, those orange or yellow cards. And I always tell you, if you've got a prayer request, write it down on that prayer request. I want to challenge you, whatever that is for you tonight, write it down on that card. And, and you don't have to put your name on it because I want to ask you to take it and I want to ask you to put it in this basket. Fold it, turn it upside down so nobody else can see it. But I want to challenge you to do that because I want to pray with you and for you that you will be able to wait on God and that God's will will be worked out in your situation, whatever it may be, because God has not forgotten you and God is always worth waiting on. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can look at your word, that we can see your son. God, even, even in something in the Old Testament, to know that all of it leads to and points to Jesus. To know, God, that you love us, that you keep your promises, that you never forget us. But God, I know in my own life, sometimes it's hard to wait. God, I pray for all of us in this room tonight. Help us to trust you. Help us to wait on you. Help us to know, God, that you will keep your promises. That 
you do love each and every one of us. God, you sent your son to die for us. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the forgiveness that we receive through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.